What's up, Bike Rumor fans? I'm here today with Colin Strickland, and the reason for the call is he is involved with the all-new, upcoming Red Bull Rio Grande Gravel race. How's it going, Colin? Hello, everyone. Uh, it's a beautiful day here in Texas. Awesome. And so, for probably anybody who's not super huge into gravel, I don't ever like to assume everybody knows who everybody is, so... I will tee this up and then you can fill in some blanks, but you are a, a, in your words, a late bloomer in the cycling scene who raced a bunch of crit stuff, won a bunch of red hook criteriums, jumped into gravel, won a bunch of those and are kind of now legend in the gravel racing space. Anything you'd add to that? Ha, I guess so. Well, you know, get in, get in early before the competition is too thick, right? Yeah. Right. That seems to, there's a couple of people that uh, I think took advantage of that strategy for sure. And, yeah, racked up a bunch of wins before anybody knew what was going on. Exactly, yeah. Hit them before anyone's paying attention. Nice. Uh, I mean, you're still holding your own. It's not like uh, that was that was it, right? Like, there's definitely, I think, some people employ that strategy, and then when it catches on, like, I mean, I remember I did one of the first six-hour races in the area and got second, and that's <laughs> just because almost no one showed up. <laughs> yeah, you know the tricks. Yeah, I try, I try. So just to give you a heads up, I did kind of crowdsource some questions to see what people were curious about. So I have a bunch of those that are more general racing and strategy questions. But I want to talk about the Red Bull event first. I guess you're based in Texas. You grew up in Texas. And the Red Bull Rio Grande event is in West Texas. Is this kind of your old stomping grounds where they're holding the race? Yeah, it is. I'm a big believer in in regional racing where people kind of showcase their own personal backyards and stomping grounds. And, uh, it gives everyone a, a good excuse, a good reason to an inspiration to travel to different parts of our great country. We have here, our beautiful landscapes and just, uh, experience different places. So to that end, I started thinking about, uh, putting a race on out in West Texas, which is a place that is near and dear to, well, not so near cause it's, pretty remote place. One of the most remote places in the United States, actually. Uh, but both Payson McKelvin and I have kind of a personal history there independently. So we started brainstorming on how to get bring people out to this place that's been so magical to us for riding. So yeah, Red Bull stepped in and took the reins. And uh, here we are after a couple of challenges, finding a, a, a course that we have access to and, you know, was appropriate and contiguous, checked all the boxes. But here we are, Coming up on the Rio Grande Gravel 2022. Cool. And it is in May for anybody interested. And uh, we'll put some links in the show notes if you want to check out the event and register and sign up. I, do you know, it, it was a pretty limited field size. Has it sold out already? I haven't checked in recently on the uh, registration. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they limited it to 500 to kind of keep it manageable and make sure everyone has a good experience because it is very remote and you know the support can be sometimes essential when you're uh, when you're so far out in the boonies so yeah we need to check in on that but i do know the field size is limited to 500 right on cool well, yeah we're going to talk about gear and equipment for this because one of the big warnings on the race side is you must be fully self-contained you must be able to fix your own stuff and you can't rely on others or tech support so you know don't strand yourself so I'm kind of curious about the train is because Watson and I are going to head out and do the race. So we'll see you out there in a couple of months. But um, so to give people a perspective of where it is, it's out near Marfa, which is just a little bit north of the um, Big Bend National Park, which is literally one of the hardest to get to national parks in the U.S., I think. Right. 
It is indeed a trek. Yeah, you are essentially going to Mexico, <laughs> literally within a few miles of Mexico at that point. Yeah, along one of the most remote places of the of the border. So yes, it is remote to say the least. Right. Yeah, it's funny because I was literally the week before looking at the national parks, and I've been wanting to go to Big Bend forever, but found also Guadalupe National Park, which apparently is like the most remote, just because it's really weird to get to and not very big and almost nobody ever goes there. And that's that's pretty close by too, right? Eh? Yeah, correct. Have you been to Guadalupe? Because it seems like nobody goes there. I haven't actually made it a destination to go there and spend some time there or riding. Uh, I, I passed through it last year, but I did not make the stop. No, again, it is a vast place out there. Often I use I use Marfa as a as a kind of a stopover on my way westward from Austin heading to California, which of course is a is a pretty frequent trip for racing and for I had some family up in Northern California for a very long time. So I would make that trek a lot and Marfa would be my first stopover. It's about a you know, moderate day's drive from Austin and I would usually get in a good ride or two there and just enjoy the that really cool town and everything it has to offer, which is a little kind of cultural oasis in the massive expansive landscape out there interesting cool so i want to talk about the red bull aspect of this so they reached out and kind of helped make this happen but what was their interest in putting on a consumer entry event because they're they're pretty well known for their big events where they invite top talent and it's more of like a, a showcase spectacle of human performance and there's not a whole lot of events i've seen them do that are just kind of anyone can sign up and participate yeah it's pretty much this and Fluchtag. actually i think they took the advice from pace mckelvin and i where we were just you know we expressed that this was kind of what we saw as one of the most valuable aspects of the of gravel bicycle racing is the fact that it's really while we do have this elite front end of the race the real magic of this is just uh, is giving everyone who's interested an equal chance to come out and participate you know, it's not just one way exhibition. It's really just, it's an exchange more like um, everyone just getting to experience the same, have the same experience of the landscape. So they took that to heart and they made sure that this was a participation event, not only a fast, you know, on the fast on the pointy end uh, pro event. Yeah. So I'm curious because I've talked to a lot of race promoters and, you know, all of the gravel race promoters I've talked to over the past couple of years have kind of said the same thing and that there's a low barrier entry for putting on events and that's probably why we're seeing so many events pop up and there's such a just a stacked calendar of options for anybody who wants to race gravel anywhere but for me when a brand like red bull who is not known for just sort of slapping something together i mean when they put something on they really put on a show i mean what do you think this means for the gravel scene and for the other promoters when a company like red bull steps into the space well, I just think it's uh, it's an indicator that you know the original promoters have been doing they're onto something and they've been doing it they've been doing it right to shed light on this style of event and show how successful it can be. Um, and yeah, and Red Bull is looking to emulate that and looking to kind of enhance it and put their own stamp on it and uh, be a part of the part of the party. Do you have any kind of like teasers of what people can expect? Something that's a little out of the ordinary or special that they're doing for this one? Well, it's definitely a, the whole kind of theme of it is, is getting out there, way out there. So this is between everything. It's just this almost lunar Martian landscape out there, this relatively young volcanic earth. So 
Yeah, just the remoteness is, is kind of the theme of this entire race. Getting out there is most of the battle, and then the race is just the bonus at the end of the journey. But yeah, let's see. The theme, thematically, well, it's, it's out there. <laughs> it's like far <laughs> west. That, that'll be the theme we're sticking with. Right. And Texas isn't really known for, like, I guess, elevation gain. But I think the starting point of this race is at like 4,000 feet, right? Correct. Yeah. It's up on the edge of the Permian Basin, which is this massive caldera formation just north of the Rio Grande. And yeah, it's it's kind of a high desert landscape. Uh, I, yeah, I believe it's between about 4,500 feet. So it's not low. It's certainly not low. Um, it doesn't get it doesn't get very extreme, but it's at, it's at the very kind of the beginnings of the altitude. And so like on course, are we just riding mostly flat, but at a high altitude? Or is there going to be like, like how much elevation gain do you think you're going to do per lap? And I guess we should tell people like it's a 25 mile lap and you can choose to do one lap, two lap or three laps. There's been several, several course iterations and I have not had the pleasure of riding the most recent of those courses. So what I experienced was pretty extreme. It was a lot. It was pretty steep, pretty pitchy ups and downs on pretty rugged terrain. So that's what people can expect. It's almost like you could say, well, it might be faster on a mountain bike if it weren't so darn long. It's one of those races. So be prepared to bring your best. Your put your best. Uh, put your best tires on. You can find your biggest, chunkiest tires, and yeah, be prepared for some extreme lunar traversing. All right. Yeah, I think even the website says minimum recommendation is a 700 by 42, or I guess at least a 42, depending on wheel diameter. But it sounds like maybe a little more might be called for, eh? More would not be a mistake. We'll, we'll put it that way. We'll put 42 as the minimum. This might be a fun time to test out your 650Bs. If you have such in your arsenal, um, yeah, you won't regret that. Is it more just like rough or is there? do you need to worry about like punctures and thorns and stuff? Uh, not so much punctures and thorns, just rough. It's, you know, it's, it's young, young earth. Okay. So you could maybe get away with like a lighter weight tire. Just, you just want the volume. Yes. Oh, we'll go, we'll go there. Although more is better <laughs> out there. More, t- more rubber, more air, more everything. Okay. All right. Good to know. Good to know. What about suspension? So I've got like a bunch of gravel bikes here and I'm trying to figure out which one I want to bring. I've got a couple with like the new, RockShox fork, I've got the Suntour fork, I've got some other stuff I can't talk about yet, but is it worth the extra weight to have like that 30, 40 mil of travel in the front? You know, I think it would, this would be one of the races where it's, you should bring out your, your prototype short travel gravel forks. I think so. I think it is worth the penalty on this one. All right, cool. All right, so let's, let's talk about your particular bike setup for this. What, I know you're, you're riding an Allied. What sort of setup are you going to bring to this event? Uh, I think I will probably be riding the Echo, which is kind of a their kind of Swiss Army knife of the moment. And I will probably be testing out my 650Bs, the same wheel set I raced, uh, my Envy 650B rims G27, which is the wheel set I raced for Rebecca's Private Idaho. Actually, all the way, all three stages of Rebecca's Private Idaho, which was very well suited for the first stage and then kind of diminishing returns uh, as the road became more... <laughs> smooth and traditional but for this kind of a race i think having that added volume is a huge plus so the g27 envy wheels with 650b um will be my i think my wheel tire of choice on pathfinder 47 uh, okay yeah that was my question is what tires so those are the specialized pathfinders right 
Yes, those are kind of my my go-to. I've had a lot of success on them. They're a great balance of puncture resistance, fast rolling, and a de- enough tread to get you through pretty much anything. Yeah, people should kind of pay attention to that tire here soon. It's been around a long time, but it is still my favorite. I've yet to find one that has yeah, surpassed it on a... I think we were, let's see, unbound this last year. Three of the top five finishers were on Specialized Pathfinder Pro. 42 millimeters, uh, Ian Boswell, uh, Lawrence Tendem, and myself. Wow. All right. What about other gear? Like what's your, you mentioned Envy wheels. So I'm going to guess Envy cockpit, but I don't want to assume what's like, what's cockpit set up for you typically? I actually maintain the same Envy cockpit across the board. I, well, stem length can vary depending on whether it's a gravel specific able or the kind of road gravel crossover, but I run either a 120 in real rough dirt or a 130 Envy stem. And I run the Envy SES aero road bars across the board because I really like the flat platform on the top of them. And I like narrow tops uh, that flare out, I think, a centimeter on each side. So I actually run very narrow bars despite having very wide shoulders. Um, It kind of helps me get more uh, aero and crunched um, to have my bars, my hoods tighter together. So I actually run 38 tops that flare down to 42 in the drops, center to center. Dang, yeah, that is pretty narrow. How tall are you? I'm six foot two with a six foot seven wingspan. Dang, okay. So that's, I mean, I'm six two as well with fairly broad shoulders, and that's, I would feel so cramped with a 38 bar. That's I get the, the idea. Benefit. Yeah, that is, is the idea. Right. <laughs> feel cramped. That means you're going fast. <laughs> so that stem length makes me think you're running maybe you're downsizing on the frame a little bit or do you just really like a long stem oh it depends on if if it's tarmac oriented um again i have really long arms uh six foot seven wingspan is bizarrely is a very high ape index so that means my my (laughs) arms just reach the stem i'm not as strung out but uh again you know uh where i excel is fast racing so wherever you know when you're going fast you need you're just wasting watts if you're not getting low. You know, you just adapt your body to be able to put out power in a very uncomfortable, we'll say at first uncomfortable, and then just this, <laughs> this is my life type position. Right. Cool. Well, that's actually a pretty good segue into the first of the reader submitted questions. So somebody asked, uh, can gravel be raced like road or is it more course dependent on your strategy? It's, is becoming more of a traditional the the dynamics of road racing are becoming more of factors in gravel racing the courses keep it interesting and different courses kind of cater to different you know strategy uh it might be a course where it's just advantageous to be on the attack and off the front you know solo or in a small group and you know where the, the power is with the front of the race or it could be more like an unbound where I would argue it's becoming more such that the power is with the, the field because it is so long. And because there are such long windy stretches, uh, it does pay to be, you know, to have power in numbers. So yeah, that's a, I think, well, we'll see how the, how the, it's really up to the promoters, how they deal with whether they welcome large, powerful teams to these events. It's really not about our, do teams show up? It's do large, powerful teams show up? Like does a pro team, you know, does EF bring four riders, three riders? Does Quick Step bring four or five riders? Because then it just becomes a obvious game of get guys up the road and then put guys on, sitting on the chase, saving energy. 
So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how promoters deal with that, which would just significantly change the dynamics we've had, which is every man, every man and woman trying to win the race themselves, which I would argue is the most exciting form of racing. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that changes, if it changes. What do you think promoters can do about that? Just like say you can, each team can only bring one person or maybe two people or like, how do they stop that from happening? Well, fortunately in, in gravel, it's kind of this emergent format where I think what I would say as a, if I were a promoter is I put it up to this court of public opinion and you know, the, the pro field is supposed to be show a show it's for entertainment purposes. Like no one's doing any work. No one's inherently by doing a race, you know, racing the race very fast. It's not inherently producing an out, like a work. They're not doing, we're not doing work or creating a product besides entertainment. So what's the most entertainment, entertaining format to hold this race? Uh, and I would argue every single person being in it to win it. And that creates the most, everybody's, if you're in the break, you're driving that thing as hard as you can. If you're in the field, you're chasing as hard as you can. It just creates the best drama and show rather than, people finding reasons to leverage numbers to not do work, which is its own beautiful game uh, in road racing, but that's road racing. That's not gravel racing. And so, you know, it would be one thing if gravel races were stacked with 10 teams of eight riders, but they're not, they're mostly individuals. So at that point, it's like a gang fight. Right. Yeah. I guess if if you had more, you'd have to kind of gamify it a little bit where you can't have X number of people from the same team finishing within X, or so I don't know. It, it gets weird, I guess. Yeah, it gets complicated. But I would say the easiest way is put it in the court of public opinion. What do people want to see? Do they want to just see road racing on gravel courses, or do they want to see this new style of event that is is really like everyone is your enemy, everyone is your friend, <laughs> no friend. You know, you you form alliances and you break them multiple times throughout each race. Every person is forming alliances and breaking them as the race evolves. All right. So I'm curious, like, because I've seen some pretty epic wipeouts and photos from some of the gravel races where somebody just hit something, maybe they didn't see it. So like when you're pace lining at high speed on gravel, are, are there, clearly you guys are working together in some regard, but are there some signals you use? Because if somebody in front hits a pothole and you're right behind them, like those gravel roads can be sketchy and the person who can't see five feet in front of them I think you're putting yourself at a lot of risk. So how do you manage that and stay safe, but still tuck in behind someone? Um, that's uh, part of that's just nature of the beast, but it really depends on, are you trying to, are you in a cohesive working unit or are you trying to just hurt each other and, <laughs> and create a separation? Because that'll really inform how you ride and how much you call out. Uh, if you're at the front of unbound at mile 20 and you're going into that rugged double track with a group of, 400 people and you're really trying to create a separation i don't think you're really calling many of the ruts out i think you're going 500 watts charging straight out of pothole and just levitating over it whereas if you're you know when the last group of five of us at unbound kind of created a separation in a big plateau windy plateau we we're just a unit at that point and yeah you call you know you want everyone to work cohesively together and create a continue to grow a gap you're calling everything out trying to keep everybody cohesive and together and not throw a wrench in your own spokes as it were yeah so speaking of teams so it depends <laughs> i guess so situational of course is um exactly how does it feel that pace and join you riding for allied are you guys like a team now or you just happen to be on the same brand 
No, we are we are not a team. No more than we've been in the past. We are good friends and bitter rivals <laughs> when it comes to cycling. He just liked the bikes I was riding. Right, because he's a fellow Texan as well, I believe. Right. He is a fellow Texan, a fellow Austinite, and we actually both went to the same little tiny Waldorf school with uh, about 100 people at it wow. at the whole high school. Very cool. Were you friends then? Or? No, I'm, I'm older than Payson. I was like four years older, so I had no idea who he was. <laughs> Think about being a 10th grader and like, do you know who the 6th graders no. are? <laughs> You've got no clue. No clue. Very cool. I was okay, If you were a team, those No, we met on the bike later on. Oh, I guess if you're not really teammates, it means you don't have to grow a mustache as well for that unified team look. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm half Mexican. I struggle with, with mustaches. I don't think that's what Gravel needs is my mustache. No, no. I'm, I'm waiting for somebody to win tunnel test that one. We've had beards, but I don't think we've had mustaches. So during racing, the next question we got, a couple kind of around nutrition. So like top level, what's your nutrition strategy during a race? Oh man, as much and as often as possible. I really, I haven't really gotten too scientific about it. You know, racing, it's, it's easy to have this, this plan of what you're going to be eating and how and when, and then you get on the bike and jump into a race and good luck with that. So, I mean, the, the length of a race will really dictate it. If it's five to seven hours, it's a little more of like a traditional road race where you kind of plan to go into deficit later in the race and just get to the line. Whereas if you're in an unbound situation and it's 10 hours, you are so much of the race is about is this race of of like gastric distress or lack of distress who can really stomach the calories. It's been about nine to 10,000 calories both times I've raced that race. And that is, that is a traumatic amount of uh, digestion while putting out an average of 282 Watts. I think it was average power for 10 hours so doing that while trying to eat is just eat as much eat as often you're going in a hole no matter what so take ingest everything you can and you're really just fed it like monitoring your stomach and seeing how much you can take without getting gi distress so it's good to to really experiment with what types of quote-unquote nutrition of sugars (laughs) and carbs your physiology can handle whether that would be all gels I know Lawrence Tendem used almost entirely shot blocks, so like gummies entirely, which was mind-blowing. I usually do a mix of hard food early, the first three or four hours, as many bars as possible, and then transition to goos and gels and uh, you know the quick sugars later in the race. But um, yeah, as much electrolytes, I'm a high consumer of salt and electrolytes, so I'm just in taking everything I can because you're going into a deficit no matter what. No way you are you consuming 9,000 calories in a 10-hour bike race. You're just going into a hole no matter what. So you're trying to slow your descent into that hole. So what's the answer? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Eat as much, eat as often as you can, as much as your stomach can stomach, literally. Right on. I've noticed a lot of pros blow past the first rest stop on pretty much every race unless it's super long distance out from the start. But and then some wear like a little hydration pack or something just so they can pack more on the bike and have to stop less. Do you typically go with whatever's on course and like how do you hit like every other rest stop or do you try and bring everything you need with you so you don't have to rely on the randomness of a pit stop? Yeah, I think the safe bet is carry your own food. It's really not that much weight relative to how screwed you can be if you miss a rest, you know, if you run out. 
though, or if you miss the opportunity to, to grab some more calories, I'd say carry, I would recommend for most people carry like 75% of what you think you'll need in terms of actual calories, solid or goos or gels, even if a race touts neutral support, because it's, you've done a lot, you've spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of energy to get where you are and don't leave it up to chance. Something as silly as carrying an extra pound of food. So yeah, I'm a big fan of small top tube bags or like small frame bags to just get stuff out of your pockets and, you know, check that, like eliminate that variable, not to mention planning and remembering that this is the checkpoint you have to stop at. And it all kind of wears on you mentally. So eliminate the the variables uh, as many as possible and you will probably have a better day. Cool. Do you ride with music or like for, especially for the longer races? Uh, races? No, I, I don't carry. And I, I typically don't carry a phone. Don't carry a, any music. Try to take in the moment. Cause these are kind of, these are pretty fun experiences. And I just try to kind of like live in those moments. It was pretty, it's always really beautiful at unbound when we're, when we're rolling out in this massive group and we just get to like watch the sunrise to the East as we've rolled North out of Emporia. Yeah. It's always been a really beautiful moments to kind of like share with the group. Do you find that, I guess, I mean, there's some races that for at least <laughs> talking about like pro times for the ones I've done, like BWR, it's like, sometimes it feels like they're finishing sub four and I'm rolling in at like eight and nine hours because I'm literally half as fast as <laughs> you. But do you find that you're having conversations with people or are you guys all just pinned? Uh, in a race like BWR, I guarantee you it's not four hours. I <laughs> think it's more like six and a half for the fastest for Setna that is. Typically, like the first 20 miles of that race are pretty laid back. There's a couple of little nuclear zones, like going into the first single track is always an absolute nightmarish hellscape of stress. But well, as soon as you hit tarmac again, you know, there's really not a lot that happens for a long time. So people relax and get pretty chatty, catch up with people you haven't seen in a while. It's a good opportunity. Cool. All right. Uh, you mentioned like some top two bags. That was kind of my next set of questions from people is like what do you carry during the race you know and then so like where do you carry you said kind of trying to get stuff out of your pockets how much repair stuff and emergency stuff do you typically carry for a race um i don't do what i do because (laughs) i'm typically being at the front of the race you have a whole mess of people coming up from behind i don't know i'm often in these races to try to win if or place very well so of late i've been carrying Definitely a Dynaplug racer kit with that's preloaded with two plugs, one on each side. You pull the cap off and they're ready to go. Uh, I'll typically have that. I, I do a lot of like strapping and taping things to my frame because if you have all this stuff buried in a seat bag with punctures, it's kind of like time is money. So the longer you mess around trying to unzip your seat bag, dig around, you're losing air. And the quicker you can get to your plug kit, the quicker you can get the plug in the tire and the less air you lose. And you might be able to get away without plugging the CO2 and pump air back in. So for that reason, I use the provided Dynaplug little mount kit and I tape that to typically my seat tube right below the chain stays or the seat stays. And just so it's it's right there, it's ready to grab and put to work uh and i'll usually keep a co2 with a little specialized head which is my favorite it's the most simple and most honestly utilitarian lightest fewest moving parts uh co2 applicator keep that in my pocket ready to kind of engage yeah because a seat bag is just i mean i would say keep a tube in that and keep a tool but it's hard to say i don't really want to give people my advice because 
yeah, I know a lot of crazy shit ha- stuff happens out on these races, race courses, and you know you often need a tool. But that's my advice: is keep your puncture repair stuff. Dynaplug is really the only one that I've found that really, you know, the other barb-based ones are great, but Dynaplug has two. You never know when you're going to need two barbs. Really, really quickly, I was just in a road race last Sunday in the winning breakaway of three, and I punctured in the front on the sidewall about 30 miles from the finish and was able to stop, throw, plug in a Dynaplug kit to a road tire, to a specialized turbo, immediately sealed with the help of orange seal, and I was back on and chasing and made it back to the break. Probably took like six seconds to stop and plug it. So, you know, that saved me the race. I ended up winning and it's like, get a Dynaplug kit, everyone. Don't mess with tubes. I mean, yeah, mess with some carry tubes, but but come on, tubeless. It's time to go tubeless. It's time to learn how that stuff works. Educate yourself. There's a little to learn, but honestly, it's not that complicated. So, Yeah, I don't think I have a bike with tubes in it anymore across anything I ride. Nice work uh, throwing your sponsors in there, too. Well done, sir. Oh, well, thank you. You're a pro. Pro. Yeah. <laughs> My last question is just, you know, still talking about the bike. Like, any little kind of, like, weird mods or tweaks or custom anything that you've done to kind of make it your own? Yes, actually. I was, uh, I kind of had a bit of a late last-minute bike decision debacle before Unbound. I was trying to decide between the Able one by setup that I'd won the ra- one unbound on in 2019 and decide between that and the allied echo, which is kind of a faster, sleeker two by machine. And I was waiting on wheels so I could try on the tires and then test the clearances. So it's kind of like last minute, but anyway, I ended up having to wait till the day before the race, but I fashioned this aerodynamic frame, effectively a frame bag made of rigid, almost cutting board, like cutting mat style plastic that I carried my two liter bladder in for unbound. That was actually a, what I feel like a massive advantage having that extra five pounds of water suspended in my frame in an aerodynamic, sleek, rigid bat, like effectively top tube frame bag instead of on my back, which all the other guys in the, you know, at the front of the race were carrying five pounds of water between three and five pounds on their backs for 10 hours. And mine was riding in my frame. So what? how did you attach it to the frame, though? It had about 15 zip ties, (laughs) the heads of which were buried inside the bag, and just these sleek little straps, um, which are, you know, zip ties are pretty much the strongest fastener that you could possibly ask for. And I shaped it such that it was perfectly contoured to my frame, so it was effectively more arrow than not having it, you know, just a fairing. And you just threw like a... Like a camelback bladder or something in there? Yeah, I think it was a I think it was a platypus, a two liter platypus with uh, you know, ten or twelve really heavy duty rubber bands on it to create positive pressure. So I wasn't like having to huff and heave suction to right. get the water up to me, which is actually pretty exhausting if you have the thing lower than your you know, if it's on your back, it's one thing and you're in an aero position because it's actually somewhat almost dropping gravity feed. But if it's in your lower than your mouth you need to draw the water so the rubber bands helped with that and i just had another bladder ready i sewed a zipper on i I made an instagram post about it with kind of just putting the info out there in case anybody wanted to mimic it but it was in my opinion a massive advantage when you just when you run the numbers i mean five pounds over 10 hours it's undeniable really kind of if you're looking for advantages there's one right yeah no that's pretty cool we'll have to find those picks and include them in the post for sure Sweet. Well, uh, uh, not counting the Red Bull one, since you had a bit of a hand in that one, what is your favorite race to do? 
great question. Um, while there are many amazing events out there, I, I, I really love Mid-South. I just like it. I like Bobby Wintle. I like going to that part of the country. I like riding fast, flat, and or slow, mucky, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, it's windy. It's, yeah, it's crazy. I like Mid-South. So that's also, I'll go with that as a solid. It's one of the first, and that's going to be my favorite race of the year, thanks to Bobby. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, he's a great guy. I have not done that event, but I've met him and he's super nice. So. Yeah. Colin, man, I appreciate your time. And yeah, we'll see you out there for the Red Bull race. And um, yeah, man, uh, good luck at all the races leading up to that. Awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this interview and you want more great chats with the people behind the brands and products that we ride every day, hit that subscribe button. And if you have a second, leave us a rating and review. That helps us reach more riders around the world and continue to attract top guests. For a list of all of our episodes or to suggest a guest for a future episode, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast. In the meantime, you can catch all the latest news on bikerumor.com or follow us on social. We are at bikerumor on all the things. Until next time, stay safe out there and keep the rubber side down.